Alrighty, to episode 64. Holy shit. 64 of Room of Requirement, uh, a podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> Room of Requirement is needed again, sure. so we have returned. Quickly, uh, just in case uh, oh, right. you've forgotten because it's been a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably do introductions. Oh, yeah, probably, just in case. It's you forgot the sound of our voices. Uh, yeah. Uh, Juan Miracle Jones, uh, novelist, editor, and um, not qualified to weigh in politically about anything. Uh, and you are? I am Kamalesh Rao. I am also not qualified <laughs> uh, to weigh in on anything, but I'm super opinionated. Yeah, and we are f- economists and, and, and data scientists. Well, yes, I, uh, I have Those some are two some skills that are probably in demand as far as political commentary these days. And, and I am Alexis Wright. Um, I also enjoy commenting on things I'm not qualified to speak about. <laughs> Great. We all live in Jackson Heights, which is the... Uh, Congressional district for Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who, uh, in, in the most diverse neighborhood in planet Earth, <laughs> probably so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ludicrously diverse, ludicrously diverse in Queens, uh, the borough you you haven't seen on TV. Um, anyway, so we, we live the Trumpist nightmare. We live Trump's nightmare. It's a <laughs> gay immigrant community, gay Muslim, <laughs> gay Ill- Muslim, yeah, Latino, uh, Latino, Asian. Uh, we, very are, little crime. we are a few no cyborg crime. implants yeah, away yeah. from like the future right. envisioned by 90s sci-fi. Yeah, when yeah. I first got off the train to live here 10 years ago, I was like, this is Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, Blade yeah Runner. right? Like, <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Feel that this way. is like Blade Runner minus the perpetual rain. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine Blade Runner with like a sunny disposition? Yeah, then that's yeah, it. yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. D- sure. d- how was your summer, everybody? Because it's been a while. Um, my summer's been good. I've been self-educating on some fun technical skills that I could stand to buff up to, like, um, buff up my whatever work skills and profiles. So I've been doing some fun kind of trivial projects related to that. The one I am recently engaged in is I decided that I would go back and pull and analyze the um, text corpus of Reddit's Am I the Asshole subreddit? (laughs) Because based on the responses to each post and the content of the post itself, in theory, I think there may be enough data to train a model to identify assholes. Just instantly? (laughs) Well, assholes in the context of like, were this to have been, yeah, 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 yeah. were this to have been the description of a situation reported on Mm. Reddit, you know, who might have been identified as an asshole by the population of the Am I the Asshole subreddit, who have, like, slightly different uh, emotional, moral, and cultural standards than perhaps the rest of us, but... Is it ba- is it based on content or, or, or semantics or... Yes, how are you training this model? The, the reason I'm doing the project is as an opportunity to sort of... Um, build skills working with these modeling tools, and I'm currently still in the data poll phase. So I can keep you guys updated. In- and then if we can operationalize it before 2020, I'm- that'll really like solve <laughs> a lot of internet argument problems. So you think that the problem with internet arguments is that no one can tell who's an asshole? There's not, you know, there's not definitive proof, you know, like mm-hmm. that you can just point to using a bot. Maybe. Oh, yeah, an objective third party. An uh, objective uh, third sure, party. Sure. Well, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how are you guys doing? Um, so uh, this is officially my last week of work. Ooh. So I, uh, I, um, so I will be taking some time off and probably looking for a new job. I will also be doing the same thing as Lex, uh, looking to build out my tech skills 
a little. Um, probably doing some modeling, some fun projects on the side, and then, I don't know, I'll figure out what I want to do. I have some severance coming my way, and then we have some travel coming up, so uh, I'll probably be looking for a job. Um, yeah. My projects involve, like, building out, like, uh, deliverable apps to my wife so she can <laughs> figure out, one, what to wear based on the weather. <laughs> Communicated completely in emojis. Right. And then two, uh, how far we are ahead or uh, behind on our, our food budget. <laughs> right. Ba yeah. Based on like, and it'll be like coded in like a little cookie. Yeah. So that's, yeah. those are like my two goals. So those, that's uh, in that form. Wait, like wait, wait, wait. So yeah. um, for purposes of determining where you are on your food budget. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you going to integrate directly with like third party systems of record? Or do sure. you guys use like Quicken or something? Or? Sure. Yeah. So I, it will be, uh, so the way that it works is um, there are a couple of hinge points, but really it's, it's going to be based on some sort of third party aggregator like uh -huh. Mint. Okay. Um, and uh -huh. so, and then we've already kind of agreed to our budget. <laughs> Um, does, know, Mint, does Mint have some kind of like public API that you can use? So it doesn't have a public API, but you can you can pull down everything you need. Um, okay. I think uh, basically I'll set up a client, pull down the data I, I need because what I do want is Mint's ability to pull in all my accounts, like mm -hmm. all the credit cards accounts and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. and it's way easier than a bank. Um, so that's it. When uh, when you travel, is the what to wear app gonna dynamically let's, update let's based on her geolocation? <laughs> Yeah, so I don't. So this is much more about how I'm going to data engineer the problem, right? So okay, like, okay. So the app itself, I think, I think it will. I mean, all it is is it's going to take uh, weather. I don't actually know how it'll work internationally. It'll just take weather service readings and then code them into mm -hmm. uh, code them into like em emojis and then like have a little feedback loop just in case she feels like it was wrong. So, <laughs> that's it. Like, I mean, and then there'll be like a little bit of a learning system underneath it. And then like, you know, just a... So those are my projects. And then I actually, I was actually going to figure out uh, along Alexa's idea. I was like, if I get really ambitious and I have some time, then I'll start to like parse through uh, Supreme Court testimony. Oh. And then try to figure out and then do sort of predictive analytics on whether or not each judge... They're an was. asshole. <laughs> Which judge is that? They all are. Yeah. They went to fine law schools. They're yeah. not great people. Um, yeah, so like just trying to figure out whether or not you can parse out language and tone and then try to predict the judges. Uh, I, feel, I feel like from what I am given to understand, even the amount that the judges are, are questioning witnesses. Yeah, like, for sure. I mean, I think it just, it, it's just, it's less, pretty... I think there's sort of a, a an unofficial kind of like, bad kind of pundit way to approach it and say like oh well it seems like they were asking what i really want to do is just get a computer to, to do this for me and then mm -hmm. say kind of get a feel for like oh what is the actual mm -hmm. tone and topic and mm -hmm. uh it would be more interesting and then you know eventually just sell that to an idiot who thinks that it's worth something and then you know you know high-powered lawyers would come to me and i would consult them. all right well as an idiot here's what i'm thinking right <laughs> like, so you've got like you've got like your box in facebook or reddit or really anywhere where you're like writing your comment right mm -hmm. i think it should like before you post yeah time. default like be like red or green oh, right. to just like show you like whether what you're saying you know like you can still go ahead with it but i think it would be useful for people to like know whether they're being an asshole well like, here, right here's out the, the thing i would through, be wary like, of and actually one of the things without like, being like censorious it's just like all right like what you're saying so, here is like a problem so there are a couple concerns around that one yeah. is like if you read 
frequently asked questions on Reddit's Am I the Asshole? There, there are questions like, can the mods do something about the gender bias here? And right. the answer to that that they have is, well, unfortunately, the gender bias is a problem of our larger culture, a thing that the mods are not equipped to correct. Right. Right. And so I, I'm actually planning to, like, do some text parsing to pull some of this information out because the sort of nice thing about Reddit is because is that because people tend to express themselves in these sort of... Um, pre-formulated and slightly jargony ways, you can pull certain information from their posts. Like there's a lot of posts that are like, I, 35F, and my boyfriend, you know, 35M or whatever. And so you probably, in addition to being able to like calculate an asshole quotient for each post that you have already seen can like do the numbers on like for people who are self-identified by age and gender, how those skew. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you might want to be careful if you're using a tool like that to warn someone of whether it seems like they may be being an asshole. Um, well, right. I mean, and certainly right. it would. Or yeah. why don't you just, as you're typing, you have your current like, social quotient score yeah, yeah, yeah. that all society will judge you by. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have the differential that whichever you're writing will add or subtract. <laughs> This is how much of a worthy human being you are. Yeah. And then you just have, oh, this is how much your, like, this is how much your comment will drag it up or, or, or boost it up. So you're taking, drag it down. you're taking what my very reasonable idea <laughs> making it dystopian. <laughs> and I'm just saying. Like, or utopian. <laughs> or utopian. I'm sure. just saying, I'm just saying, you know, like, I think sometimes Someone needs to police the internet. Time. <laughs> It's not, this would be a tool for, for the user, not necessarily for other people to know. So, okay, but, but realistically, what percentage of people would use it to, to try and get the meter to go into the red, right? Like, oh, like I could still be more of an asshole I in this post. The way I understand that the internet works is people yeah. would actually try to... Max play the up. bot, yeah, yeah, you yeah. max them in, yeah. yeah. Right, I mean, well, then you'd like at least know. Like, they're playing Fable. Right. <laughs> but then you'd at least know that people were doing this for, like, extraneous game reasons rather than intentional. Only only if it had some kind of signature in the same way that, like, like posted to Twitter from my iPhone, you know? Like, right, <laughs> like, maximized for asshole, like, quotient. Well, do you know how, uh, not Reddit, but maybe Twitter screens, do they, do you know, or Facebook, do they have That's that my right? point. This already happens, but it's invisible, and you don't know about it ahead of time right like so if if twitter is going to be like eliminating posts for you know content or facebook is going to be flagging i mean from my understanding like a lot of the facebook stuff that gets flagged is actually going through like actual human beings yeah yeah, and then like obviously like some automated detection of duplicates of things that have already been screened but um but i think a lot of it is because like i don't know if you've seen like the stories about like people with PTSD from being like Facebook screeners in foreign countries, right? right? Yeah, like, no, for sure. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's that's my idea. I'd, I guess I'd rather be upfront and visible to the user as opposed to this like Orwellian back-end thing that is gameable from the other side. Uh, and we, so we have some I mean, and I, I find that approach to information chim- charmingly late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> no one believes in information anymore. Back to my original point, information yeah. bad, facts bad. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, oh, how you been? How was your summer, remember? Oh, yeah, I was yeah. good. I just been, I mean, as you both know, I just spent all summer ghostwriting a, a very bad book for not enough money. But I'm done, so I'm able to, like, hang out again with human beings. You uh, finished it. I finished it, yeah. No one no one will know the name of this book, and uh, uh, it is uh, depressing how little 
money one is paid to write an entire novel, but it's the most I've ever been paid to write a book. So I'll just uh, consider that uh, to the good and move on with life. I might do it again, but somewhere out there right now is a mystery book that exists. Yeah, 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 yeah. Episodes. Of Room of Requirement. Mystery <laughs> thriller, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I did I'm use both of your book. names in it. Okay. Sure. <laughs> His character. I am honored. Yeah, yeah well, I miss you guys. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. You know, I had a friend write a sitcom based on me. It was a really unflattering... Like, me and some other people, and right. I guess her, too. And then, yeah. like, it was a really unflattering portrayal of me. Was there <gasps> ever a pilot? Uh, she cast it. I actually know the guy who got... Yeah. <laughs> there was a table read. I see. So do you um, want to talk about politics? Yeah, let's talk about politics. Is there anything to talk about? Yeah, is there anything <laughs> oh going on? <laughs> First of all, I'd just like to say that I'm incredibly proud of us for the past two years or whatever, not really talking about the Russia investigation. <laughs> not because we didn't think it wasn't true, that he obviously didn't do everything he was accused of, and probably more, but just because... Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I think we had other things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think we can <laughs> safely say that the the child safety cap has been broken, and uh, now we would be remiss if we didn't focus in on this new scandal, which I have written down here that I would like to call Ukraine Storm. Mm -hmm. okay. But uh, we, I'm open to other suggestions. I wanted to call it Ukrainia, like yeah, Ukraine mania. Yeah, yeah, that's also yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about the condors of this one before we get into Sure, yeah, you want yeah, to give us a yeah. little breakdown? Uh, so, as I understand it, the basics of it and why it's so, such a good scandal is because it can be explained easily, is uh, like the day after the Mueller report dropped and Trump seemed to get away with uh, obstruction of justice and colluding with a foreign power to influence the American election, he immediately went out and called the new president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, also a television actor, probably uh, delightfully unqualified to run a country, and uh, asked him uh, in return for U.S. aid, which he was withholding, uh, for help discrediting uh, presidential candidate Joseph Biden via his son Hunter, uh, specifically uh, with respect to Biden uh, getting uh, a prosecutor in Ukraine fired who was corrupt, uh, but who Trump was saying was helping Biden quash investigations into the oil company that his son worked for. Uh, is that right? Everything? That's largely how I understand the yeah. scandal. I mean, there are a couple of things. One, I would like to point out that the president of Ukraine played like an ingenue uh, becoming president for yeah. the first time. And like, fighting yeah. corruption. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, Interesting. So he's actually played a president before yeah. he became a president. He's so more, I feel like he's more, a little bit more qualified. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> he did apply for the job in some way. So, uh, yeah. A few, a few points of elaboration that have sort of since come out and the way, the contours of how the story broke and the reasons why it's breaking kind of the way that it is. So, um, first, um, it seems like Adam Schiff, lead of the House Select Committee on Intelligence, had some knowledge that there was a whistleblower complaint in the first place and thus was applying um, pressure to the ICIG and others to to get that um, whistleblower complaint released to Congress, right? As, as is his job, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, literally his job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, so... 
There were efforts to prevent that complaint from going to Congress on the basis that um, the Whistleblower Protection Act only covered um, the claim was, right, um, that by the letter of the law, it only covered activities uh, under the supervision of the Director of National Intelligence, which did not include the President's calls with foreign powers, even though the complaint was submitted by a member of the Intelligence Committee, and obviously preventing foreign powers from interfering in elections is, in fact, under the supervision or within the auspices of the Director of National Intelligence, right? So this is the, sure, the, yeah. the pretext under which the complaint was being withheld. Um, ultimately, and the, the, the DNI was, yeah. had only been on the job for six weeks also. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It was, he wasn't really sure what the hell he was supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, he essentially arrived immediately after the complaint yeah. was submitted. So that's one point. So, But as the discussion and pressure to get the whistleblower complaint released to, to Congress, um, escalated, the president and some subset of his advisors um, reviewed um, the call notes for the call in question and decided that they would be suitable to release to Congress. And so yeah, they uh, did that, right? Making um, the decision that this was less damning perhaps than a transcript or it coming out from some other sideways yeah. I think Place. it's very, it's been very interesting to watch in the news, and we should touch back later on who advised the president to release this and who advised him against it, because yeah. that's information that's been trickling out and which in some cases is very interesting, right? Yeah, I think this circles back to an idea that this is a very clear violation of basic norms, if not the law itself. Uh, it's very clear that... Um, well, it's an abuse of power. It's well, it also power. seems to be a felony, right? Yeah. So could soliciting... Be, could be campaign finance. So, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It could yeah, be. Yeah. I think there's an interesting discussion, like um, uh, Josh Barrow and uh, uh, Pope Hat, uh, if you follow these people, uh, they, they're they saying that it's probably not a felony, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it's, there's strong arguments that maybe it's not a felony. It certainly can be thought of as crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah, and it's like, such a high crime that yeah, it transcends yeah, yeah, felony, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, they may not be able to get them on like something like campaign finance. Like, yeah. That's a harder... I mean, abuse of power may be more likely. What I think what I think is the, the talking point that should be stung more, when I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of a, upset that I'm not seeing it, is that it's taxpayer money being used, the US, well, right. USAID as the leverage or this bribe. Yeah, and he to, doesn't really have the authorization to withhold yeah, funds yeah. authorized by Congress. Right. Yeah, so actually to, to, talk, to speak to that point a little bit more, there's been a lot of discussion, particularly on the right, as to whether there was a direct quid pro quo involved in this. Um, the timeline around the president deciding to hold foreign aid to Ukraine, um, is suspicious. Um, there is no explicit in exchange for this aid. I would like you to investigate the Bidens on the call. And it does seem like for some sections of the political right, anyone who does not say, hey, I'm doing a crime right now is pretty much absolved of any accusations of, of malfeasance of any kind. I think that's only true if your name is Donald Trump. Right, like I mean, only if Donald Trump says, "Hey, this is the crime I'm going to do now." Like I think they need the the way that they parse and are willing to forgive, uh, not subtle nuances in language. I think only applies to what 
one person. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it feels obvious to me that there's a quid pro quo, but the quid is damning enough. Like, asking a foreign country to investigate your, you know, political rival is something that we have never, no one's ever done in America. No one's ever quite tried that yet. Yeah, so (laughs) one of the salient facts about this allegation is how absurd and quickly uh, quickly proven wrong a lot of the counter arguments from the right are. I think mm-hmm. this is a much less complicated case. Again, yeah. As the yeah it's very case. hard for them to defend, you know, and even attacking a, the whistleblower's credibility. Right. It's very challenging for them, both because that person is anonymous and because the president released yeah. these yeah. call notes, right? So, yeah, this so is, this yeah is, once yeah. you have the call notes, I mean, the any... Any and circumspection then, around the and whistleblowers. Then subsequently, if we have a question as to whether Donald Trump would, in fact, ask for the assistance of a foreign nation in investigating yeah, whether political enemies, he's done it again yeah, like, publicly from the South Lawn of the White right. House. He said that both, you know, the Ukrainian government and the Chinese government should investigate the Bidens. It's not clear. To be fair to the general public, I'm not sure how clear it is to everyone that the FBI can investigate this if they want to, right? Like, U.S. domestic law enforcement agencies are empowered to investigate crimes by U.S. nationals. That's not, like, outside their wheelhouse. Well, Um, it it has been investigated. Like, no, but Biden has not been found. There's no evidence that he he or his son are involved in any sort of corruption scandal. There's a sense of swampiness around it, right? Like, I think it's clear that Hunter Biden was probably peddling his father's name in order to get himself a very sweet seat. But, I mean, we should all aspire to be on the chair, uh, on the board of any company. I mean, it's it's a, it's an easy deal. I mean, to my mind, you being a being on the board of a Ukrainian oil company is kind of shit if you're the son of the vice president. Yeah, you should, you should, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, Exxon was beckoning. Yeah, right. there's a lot of places you could, could have go. Been right. and he's like, he he landed up like in a place that. Yeah, kind of, sure. I mean, I thought, yeah, yeah. As far as like corruption, there's actually. Like, so I think we've talked a little bit about this, Miracle Jones, you and I. But uh, so there is actually, if you. Uh, there was a pretty good article in the New Yorker about Hunter Biden several months ago. So again, one of the allegations is that you know the the left wing media is not willing to report on Hunter Biden, but they actually New Yorker did a very long piece on Hunter Biden. Mm-hmm. It's just way too long to have been coalesced. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it was actually really good. It's really like it's a complicated guy. It's a complicated figure. It's a complicated relationship. If anything, I think it elicits sympathy for both. Of Biden's. Um, yeah, I'm just waiting for Trump to say something mean about Bo Biden accidentally. Right, yeah. I mean, that's coming, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's one other thing that's come out today, which is that, um, you know, sort of contemporaneously with Joe Biden pressuring the Ukraine to get rid of this corrupt um, prosecutor, right? It has turned out more recently they've found a letter that was signed by three current Republican senators sure, saying, yeah. like, you know, we, something needs to be done, and and we similarly urge you to press ahead with urgent reforms to the prosecutor general's office. Yeah, you specifically know, like, this prosecutor was not investigating the Ukrainian oil company that right. Biden worked so this for. Was, this so. was not something that um, Republicans were concerned about in terms of Joe Biden pressuring the Ukrainian government. Yeah, there's no new information Certainly that came not. out. That would, I mean, yeah. there could be a scenario where there's new information, we need to, you know, we thought that it was okay back then, we blah, blah, blah. And we even can't... so, let's say you're the president and you have insider information for some reason that the son of your political rival is involved in some sort of crime, it makes it incumbent on you to be even more careful about how you go about 
determining this and prosecuting it so you don't have the onus of this on you so it isn't tainted if you actually do find something out about him right. where you put the legitimate authorities in charge of investigating mm-hmm. this on the matter so that you can actually yeah, get a keep conviction it, keep it clean, without right? it yeah. being seen as politically motivated yeah. nothing has helped Hunter Biden more than the president coming out and asking Ukraine to investigate him at a diplomatic phone call. Uh, right. And again, I mean, there are very, very few credible counter arguments yeah. to no, I would say, a very but, clear yeah. crime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, I don't know if there are any real credible counter arguments. Um, one can make the same uh, like you saw maybe with the Russian collusion case, like it was, you know, the proof was a little bit tangential, like the facts didn't necessarily uh, stack up neatly. But here there's very clear proof. The offended party provided evidence against itself. Yeah. So it definitely did not take the fifth in some way. And then um, and then repeated the offense right, publicly, right. right? Subsequently right. on camera. So, what I think is interesting about it is how this entire scandal has kind of mirrored the Me Too movement, except for like countries being abused. <laughs> So kind of how like Ukraine has been like, yeah, and then like Australia got into it too. And it's like the well, same kind of reporting where they're so, looking for other times so in other Australia's countries. So Australia's involvement also is interesting yeah. um, because that touches, I think, on what's been going on with um, Barr, it turns out, right? Um, concur with all of this breaking. Is traveling, is investigating whether the Mueller probe had illegitimate origins um, and and again, uh, uh, so we see this sort of triad at the top of the Trump administration of tinfoil hat wearing, fox watching grandpas, determined to get to the bottom of this and not really seeming to understand either how to do so discreetly or how to apply political pressure without um, doing obvious crimes. Yeah, I think that's one of the key takeaways is that how some how there's a large slice of the Republican electorate uh, that is really inured to like um, sort of influence either from kind of either common sense or what we would consider like mainstream media currents and is very much sheltered in a conspiratorial mindset and certain rumors and gases floating up from the fever swamp that is the right wing like uh, ecosystem right and so and at the top of this uh electorate is donald trump who loves conspiracy theory is loves and apparently the way that you rose in the past couple of years was uh i.e william barr or or pompeo is that you learn to play the game where you have to give in to uh his various i don't know brain farts his various conspiracy theories his his tangential uh, tangential connections between this and that and this and that and you actually have to spend as an adult as two uh, maybe more very intelligent people chasing down absolutely asinine theories well, you com- pretend to believe it yeah, at the very least and you're competing with Fox News for his yeah. like love right so yeah. you have to give him something more than Hannity can yeah, in yeah. order to remain trusted and that, that plays into all of this right also is Rudy Giuliani's role in pushing these mm. sort of former mayor of New York yeah. <laughs> Yeah. America's mayor. America's mayor. <laughs> America's mayor. Uh, and, yeah. And Pompeo, I mean, they've all had some credible service uh, to the country and have all proven themselves bright in one way or another. Suspicious and incredible amount of Italians and well, I mean, as, helping uh, Nancy Pelosi become president, it seems. As we all know, I am a huge Pelosi fan. Yeah. Um, Hard not to be right now. 
Well, it's it's interesting to me because like I um, have seen a good number of sort of uh, progressive friends putting up memes about how like she she waited too long to initiate impeachment, which to me, um, I disagree with this perspective, right? Because like at, at the point when someone lays the smoking gun on the table, right, that's the best chance you're kind of going to have in the current political environment, particularly with Trump, right, where it's like the party has the Republican Party has so completely staked its... Like, They're no one immediate. is going to stop French kissing him until he is fully leprous, totally. right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is a good point that maybe we'll circle back to, that a lot of people who were, during the sort of the, the dog days of summer, were talking about how Congress had screwed up or the Democrats had screwed up the Mueller report, uh, in particular, even on sort of the right wing, I you know I listened to Charlie Sykes, who has a very good podcast. I'd recommend, but he was really upset that we were that the Democrats were were fumbling the ball, as it were. But to me, like a lot of the people who were complaining were people who had never been part of the political machine. So it's a lot of journalists or talk show hosts or historians talking mm-hmm. about what a position you're talking, and it's just not people who had know what the grind of putting forward actual legislation or policy or any kind of change in government really looks like, and it's going to be much slower, right? And I think that's something that we live in a very kind of information-saturated, immediate gratification, immediate reaction kind of environment, and we don't know how to kind of understand that the grind the grind of the gears grind slowly, right? Like mm-hmm. our gears are just slow-moving in terms of government, and they kind of should be. Yeah, and also everyone involved is a participant observer. Like, nothing has changed the calculus of whether impeachment is a good idea or not than Pelosi deciding it's a good idea, right? right? Like, since she put herself out as this, someone with such a high bar for impeachment that even a a clear obstruction of justice in the Mueller report didn't move her, now that she's come on board, all of a sudden it'll rise 15 points, right? Right. Just because we've all uh, outsourced our trust on impeachment to her, which is brilliant. So on the topic of the gears of government grinding slow, away. Um, Something that I touched on briefly earlier, but hadn't dug into until now, right? Who advised the president to release the memo, right? So I think that this is very interesting because one of the people who, it turns out, advised the president to release the memo was Mitch McConnell. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So again, I think there are people who are, it'll be an interesting kind of autopsy of the Republican Party Mm -hmm. after the eventual leaving of the Trump family. Maybe maybe it'll happen in the next four or 10 or 15 years. Um, but I think one of the things is like you have people who are, again, professionals who have learned, who have to deal with this very clear power center that's very different from what they've seen in the past, right? So it's less movements, it's one single person, um, and it's not necessarily large coalitions that represent different interests um, and perspectives and maybe geographies. So with McConnell, right, I think that he he, if that's true, I could believe it because he didn't want to throw up, like, if they can't obstruct, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obstruction is very clearly a way of expediting the impeachment process, right? So I think if McConnell makes sense, right? I mean, he's like, I can't I can't steamroll this. I can't slow walk the fact that well, if you are obstructing Well, he also justice. allowed a motion, and presumably was on board for a motion of unanimous consent to yeah. release the declassified totally. yeah. whistleblower complaint. Well, especially since there's something that's so damning. Like, <laughs> right. eventually it's going to come out, and if it's a huge fight, then they look even more guilty. I also wonder right. if he's looking to as discreetly as possible put Trump into a position where eventually they can cut ties with him as a major figure of the Republican Party or as the driving force of the Republican Party without ever having appeared to do anything 
untoward that would make his base upset. Right. So I, I think there is a dance here, right? Yeah. So and Pelosi and McConnell are institutional people, right? They're not radicals from above that have never re- they didn't. Yeah. They They're not new with this. Yeah. yeah they, but they came through an institution, and Pelosi really sees it. And this is one of the chief complaints about her. She sees her job is to predict is to protect the Democratic majority in the House, and if mm-hmm. not everyone is on board with the movement, she can't move forward, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's true with McConnell. McConnell's like, I have to protect the Republican majority or hold on to it as long as I can. Yeah. And something that is clearly a violation of the law, I can't, I can't stand up. I can't say that there are limits to what I'm willing to do, and they're great, and I'm willing to wield the power in, in service of the party, but I'm in service of the party holding on to set the Senate. And so there are limits to what he can say. And I think this is very different than someone like Kevin McCarthy, who is the House Minority Leader, yeah. who is a Trumpist and is relatively new. He's been in the House two or three terms, but he's very much, he came on, he came into his own as a leader, uh, either as a latent Tea Party person, or I think Kevin McCarthy is not playing that game, right? Like, he's not trying to figure out how to win back the House. He's winning. He's trying to figure out how to be a Trumpist. And yeah. that's, yeah. people who care about the institutions and preserving the powers of the, that the institutions hold are going to try to play a game where you have a very power, you have a power center within Trump, but then you also have historical legacies and eventually something that has to exist beyond Trump. Yeah. Right? They're not moving. They're not moving to get away from Trump as much as they're trying to. I think I think they would like a level of plausible deniability just in terms of whatever is going to happen. Yeah, I think that's fair. If I had to guess, I mean, who can read Mitch McConnell's cold dead eyes? But like, I do think that. You know, no, he's, mean, a, he's, he's a calculating man, you know, like I have respect for his political acumen in the same way that I have respect for Pelosi's political acumen, right? Um, right. I mean, I think they're, they're both, you know, they're on the ship, they're saluting the captain while they're making sure that they slowly lower the lifeboat. <laughs> they're catching their bats, right? They're doing both. Yeah. They're making sure, right? Like, yeah. Um, something I did find interesting, uh, which was that the FBI took their shot with Mueller with a very detailed, mm-hmm. like, you know... Uh, conscientious investigation of uh, Americans involved in potential crimes, uh, the fucking, you know, State Department uh, resigned in rage time and again, you know, uh, and, and came out and wrote long articles in foreign affairs and foreign policy about sure. how terrible Trump is. Military leaders of all the branches have sat beside him and huffed and tried to be the adults in the room and Mad Dog, the warrior monk, like, resigned at a pivotal moment and all none of this did nothing. One CIA agent wrote one whistleblower report. Okay, but have you read the complaint? Yeah, it's, it's really well written. <laughs> I'm, I'm just very proud of it. Yeah. It makes me feel uh, like, honestly, like Central it builds some of my it. confidence. Yeah. And, like, like I feel good <laughs> that people able to write that precisely and destructively. Yeah are populating our intelligence Well, it's what we do. It's what we do to other countries, right? (laughs) It's just a brief that you would write about a foreign leader's, uh, you know, entanglements. And we have so much experience with that. We never expected to see our own leader being so dumb and obvious about their corruption. You know, and I find this so odd that the allegations of deep state are coming from the Republican Party, where they naturally sit with the Democratic Party, right? I mean, a CIA analyst, you know... And, you know, having known people who work in the security sector, like, I mean, they're very sincere. They do really care about the country and how they conceive of what it means to represent America's interests. They tend to be center-right, right? Sure. And, and this is a person with a deep, involved uh, focus on Ukraine yeah. and, and Ukraine's status as uh, vis-a-vis Russia. So, right. Know, and to see, see people, through. like, and to see people in the highest echelons of government trying to kneecap them is yeah. so weird. I think it's so... 
I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what this means for the Republican coalition. So on that note, something that I think will be really interesting to see play out, and a lot of this depends on how fast they move impeachment in the House, right? Because depending on um, how many televised hearings there are um, in the House and how long those run and how newsworthy they are, we may or may not see a lot more of the faces on um, the House Committee on Intelligence, right? But I think it was really interesting um, when the House Committee on Intelligence was questioning the Director of National Intelligence to see Will Hurd, right, who is <laughs> sure. an outgoing Texas Republican <laughs> yeah. who is former CIA yeah. and was once sort of lauded as the party's future, yeah. take a really measured tone with respect to his concerns and like arguably like a sort of I wouldn't say more objective and measured tones than his Democratic counterparts because that was variable, but like clearly not partisan. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be really interesting to see how that plays if there are a number of televised hearings. Yeah, he is retiring. He is very good friends with future Vice President Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> uh, I feel like he uh, is in a good shape to get an a, a appointment. Yeah, he could be cabinet. Yeah. I mean, they were talking about heading, making him head of the CIA even before he became a congressman. And he also, you know, like with a background in the intelligence community, I think probably has more of a sense of protectiveness toward them or at least sort he's of. also black i yeah. mean i think that's important no no he's he's there's no more uh he's the last black, black representative and there's only tim scott right yeah and in the senate yeah. in the senate yeah, yeah. so, so that yeah. would be it yeah, and he's also a Texan, so he's joining six other Texans that are retired. Yeah, yeah, Texanists, they've yeah. been yeah. telling it, right? It's, it's incredible. You guys are really abandoning the Republican Party while North Carolina <laughs> is embracing the new Republican hey, Party. Hey, man, we're not, we're not abandoning the Republican Party. The Republican Party is abandoning us. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, 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 Trump had a choice to put Republicans on his... I guess he dared to put Texans in his cabinet, and I guess he put in a few, but then he fired them all and didn't listen to them. As if Texas doesn't matter to the Republican coalition. As if we haven't, you know, been running the Republican Party secretly for, you know, since LBJ left. Explicitly at some point. Explicitly (laughs) at some point, you know. But certainly, like, you know, it's the the big state with money and power that is not a debtor state. Well, you guys got the energy secretary, right? The energy, I mean, we have Perry. Yeah, 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 what about Perry? I mean, as far as, like... Texas governors are always weak. The short story is Texas looks out for itself, and the Republicans, for some goddamn reason, have decided not to, you know... Look out for Texas? Yeah, in which case, if the Democrats can make a play, and they mm-hmm. seem to be interested in that, then Texas is up for grabs, as long as... Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe not next cycle. But maybe not next cycle, but yeah, two soon cycles. enough. Two cycles, enough. I think that Yeah, Democrats are definitely sending Texas, like, hey, my dad's not home tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm excited about this, of course, but uh, the uh, it's, it is... Uh, it does feel like a tactical, huge tactical and strategic blunder on the behalf of the Republicans, rather than something that Democrats are doing well. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah I, I would, I would say that Democrats have yet to discover Texas in a profound and meaningful way, and are still uh, pretty invested in the fortunes and future of the Midwest. So I guess maybe so. one more thing about um, <laughs> impeachment is yeah. I do think it's been really interesting um, to watch a bit of what's going on over at Fox News right now. Yeah, right. the difference between the news and yeah, the Yeah, because there seems to be at this point, maybe for the first time, like really clearly a split happening between the news and the opinion programming. And yeah. like even some of the contributors that have overlapped on both in the past, like for example, Judge Napolitano, you know, who 
I think it'll be really interesting to see which way Fox swings, since there are many Fox viewers who do not take in news from other sources. In sure. fact, um, we didn't talk about this explicitly, but there is one thing that's gotten some air, which is uh, there was a poll about whether people believe that President Trump um, asked the Ukrainian president to look into the Bidens, and 40% yeah. of Republicans said no. Right. I think it is, is, like, factually documented yeah. on... I mean, Today. opinion polls just prove that people are not very important. Yeah. Yeah, right, that's right, right. I mean, like, I mean asking people <laughs> about facts is just not like, I mean... Uh, yeah. 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 They'll, they'll always prove that, oh, you people are idiots. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. That's like... Um, Oppositional defiant disorder sets in, too. Uh, so... On to the primary. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I've talked about this theory. Okay. I, I, it really, I, I bring up this theory, and it, whenever I bring it up against uh, progressives, they start, their skin starts to crawl. But, like, right. there needs to be, on the ticket, a yeah. balance. So, one, um, you have to balance genders, right? Yeah. Like you, and I think you can't, you can balance it in the way that you can't have an all-male ticket, nor can you have an all-female ticket. Right. That's just both... Uh, both being nationally electable and also electable within the caucus. Two, you can't have an all-white ticket. That's, that's, that's I just trickier. think that's true. Yeah. And, and we did last time. We did with Clinton and Kane. Maybe that was a mistake. Yeah, so you can't have an all-white... I mean, everything about that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Tim Kane was the... I, I submit the reason why Hillary Clinton lost. Sure, so. sure, let's go uh, with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can't have an all-white ticket anymore. You can yeah. also can't have... I don't know if you can have an all-minority ticket, but you certainly cannot have an all-white ticket. Um, and the and this is hard because uh, if you're talking about a Warren ticket, you're talking about someone at the front of the ticket who polls particularly poorly with with black people. So like you have to ma you have to balance race, you have to balance gender, you have to balance politics. The two sides of the party now are mm -hmm. are both progressive and then maybe middle stream, mainstream, or or conservative or or. Um, centrist, right? So, however you want to define, it, you have to balance those. And finally, you have to figure out your ge geographic play. And f when the ticket is decided, it'll probably be decided in that order. When it should be decided in the reverse order, because effectively, all you're trying to do is you're trying to get to four, one or four or five states that are actually going to toss the electoral college away. And that's like Wisconsin. That's Pennsylvania. That's like maybe so are uh, we saying biden should be a veep yeah i mean that's why biden is still a strong contender and should be thought of not as like oh he's a strong contender but we'll finally like that's not a bad thing for the ticket you know I, he is currently the front runner yeah he's but i mean i think the margins are are close and i don't think i but i think the way we kind of approach it is that oh it's clearly going to be warren's game to lose and that's a good thing because we like warren but i i think that there's a strong argument for biden and and having biden coupled with a Kamala Harris, right? That's that's the best you can get in terms of, like, trying to balance out that ticket. Yeah, I mean... Biden-Harris? Yeah, Biden-Harris is a much better way to balance the ticket than Warren with anyone. Like, I think that's a problem. With I Warren, mean... What's your... What's your unless I mean, you do Warren with... I would probably agree with you. I just don't think he's going to win. I just don't... I, I think, think that's fair. That's yeah. a fair argument. He's limping along like Clinton did in the presidential, where he's trying to appear in public as little yeah. as possible. He doesn't want to mess sure. up his lead, right? To yeah. me, that's not... In modern politics, the way that it moves is not a winning strategy to pick up support. And so it's his to lose, and he's as far as I can tell, he's kind of losing it. Right? I just see Warren winning Iowa, and I see that being kind of game over no matter what happens in South Carolina. Like Because, if, because if she wins Iowa, it's, it'd be the same thing that happened with Obama, which is, even though we know that Iowa's Democratic electorate is very progressive... And white. 
and white. What Iowa represents in the American psyche is middle American stamp of approval, right? Mm -hmm. And if she's a, the progressive left woman in the race and wins Iowa, then the narrative then becomes like, oh, this person has broad general electability, right? Whereas if Biden loses, then he's in the position of being like, well, he can't, he can't beat Warren. How can he beat Trump, you know? Uh, which I think makes, I think it really hurts him, even if he manages to take South Carolina. And then I think once Super Tuesday hits, places like Texas and California will go to Warren. Can I, can I talk for a minute about something I'm really excited about, about the primary that doesn't actually have to do with who's going to win it? I'm excited about how the Democratic primary is blowing up the Overton window, right? In terms yeah, 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 of acceptable political positions, because these people are still in the quote unquote, like they're still sort of in the disposable phase with respect to a presidential election campaign. And so they are throwing big ideas out there at the wall to see what sticks. But at the same time, we're not committed to a presidential candidate who adopts those positions. And so the speed at which this is happening with respect to the Republican like noise machines capability to counter it is actually seems to be expanding the range of available policy solutions in public discourse, which is really exciting from my perspective, maybe even more so than horse racing. Then who's who's yeah. on top? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think that if anything, I think it's actually it has it's less mood. I think it's shifted rather than yeah. expanded. Like oh, I, maybe so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's the way I kind of feel. Like I think the people are the tastemakers within the Democratic Party have definitely moved uh, to the left as opposed to, and I think the centrists have actually been forced to be quiet. To go with them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Although I would say that left capital L energy of somebody like Bernie Sanders has been circumvented and, and neutralized yeah. by the Overton window moving the other way, which is toward sort of need for or interest in regulated capitalism as opposed to like straight up breaking up the banks like angry resentful populist energy mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. marked the 2016 campaign so maybe we should talk about bernie because otherwise the people who listen to us who are really mad that bernie doesn't get any coverage anywhere are going to be mad at us as well no, I, I, bernie voters are real mad anyone anytime anyone doesn't think that they and their candidate are the face of the party um, or the future of the party. Well, not right. even of the party, but of the left, right? Because they don't just like, like the idea of the party. Do you know who Elizabeth Bruning is? She writes for the Washington Post. She's like a really, she's like maybe 29. She's yeah, yeah. At 29. She's like a mother. She's like a Catholic socialist. She's a really big Bernie supporter. Mm -hmm. She should be running. Every time, I'm like, I don't believe in Bernie. I believe everything he says is pretty much close to asinine. But like every time Elizabeth Bruning makes a point, I'm like, oh, let me think about this. Yeah, I'm, uh, always, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm I just in, feel like, so, I'm My more interested in almost every Bernie supporter. Right, 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 right. Well, actually, it's funny because, like, so I, I, you know, I talk to people I know who engage in surprisingly civil political debate on Facebook, and someone had put up something that was like, "Who are your top candidates?" And I was like, you know, sort of Liz Warren, um, O'Rourke, everyone else, and then at the bottom, like Bernie, and then Biden. Um, and someone was like, "Why would you like Warren, but not?" Bernie. And I was like, well... You made a very strong point about this in the past. Yeah, well, the ability to play well with others and build coalitions and compromise where you need to to get real policy results is the job. <laughs> sure. That's the whole job we're talking yeah. about hiring someone for, and Bernie doesn't have a strong history of it, right? Like, yeah. I think he's good at stating strong opinions in public and never backing down from them, and there is a place for that for a senator, right? Um, but for my money, you can have the same political policy positions 
as someone else and be better at executing them. And yeah. Liz Warren has like gone the distance in the Senate, right? Um, also, I think I, as far as coverage goes, I think people have been all too kind to Bernie Sanders, like because you know he's somebody that got forty three percent of the vote in twenty sixteen and now can't get above fifteen. Like the articles that should be coming out about him is are why his campaign is such a colossal failure this time around and what he's actually hoping to gain from even being in the race. I feel like I think this is true, though. I think I, I think that's fair, but I also think that no matter what, if you're critical of a candidate, you're like, oh, media is way too kind because the way you parse media is like selective about how you parse information, right? So yeah, I'll be like, oh, maybe. they were way too kind to Mo- Elizabeth Warren. Like, I mean, you know, if you're not a Warren fan, Well, right? she's never run before. We don't have anything to, to, to judge right, that's against fair. her. That's you fair. Know, she is meeting her first mark as opposed to failing to meet the mark previously set in a previous campaign. Yeah. Um, Whereas Biden is exceeding the mark he previously set in his other... Failed campaigns. Yeah. Um, so I guess I have questions to you because I think you guys lean more towards Elizabeth Warren, Warren if you had your druthers. And then I think I vote more for Biden, which, you know, because I'm an old man. I would happily um, and gladly vote for Biden. I just don't think he's going to win. Like, in a presidential, I will vote for the nominee. I think to me, like, I have a very obvious play where I counter uh, Biden with mm-hmm. uh, with kind of how I think about balancing the ticket. And it can go a couple of ways. You could have Castro, right? Like young yeah. Latino, mm-hmm. maybe more progressive. How do you balance out Warren? I'm not like a presidential vetter, so I don't have like deep knowledge of the bench beyond like some really obvious choices, right? I do, I mean, like I joke about Beto. I do think um, it's never too early to start sending Texas text messages (laughs) for like our earlier conversation, right? right? Like I do think that there's relevance there. Um, Could be, could be Castro. I just, he's just not particularly well liked in Texas and he doesn't. Um, you know, I don't think he's well liked anywhere. And I, I know, think, I think the progressive wing really wants. I think the progressive wing wants Warren Castro, and yeah. that's that's. I mean, I think Castro would be interesting. I am glad he's not headed for president because I feel like having a president with an actual live identical twin is like too, begging too for a bunch theory. of precious yeah. TV movies and conspiracy theories. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but a vice president with a live identical twin could work. Well, okay, so let me, let me rephrase it this, because I think yeah. with Warren, you have put at the front of your ticket a white progressive, right? And so how do you either play a, a geographic balance or how do you get minorities? Because I still think, and this is something that I th- that the discourse doesn't uh, really involve, is like her, I, I think her, she plays particularly poorly with minorities and centrists and that's in the middle of the country and you need that right like you do need that in order to you think she plays particularly poorly with centrists i think she's one of the few candidates with crossover appeal between the wings of the party yeah that's part of why i like her i mean i think she's pulling more from former clinton supporters than there's warren harris but then you've got an all-female ticket all-woman ticket um i think that would be just fine if warren booker is booker's likable and i mean like i I don't know exactly what his poll numbers look like. I would just he, lacks- he doesn't have as much support among minorities. He doesn't have much more no, than, no. than Warren does. No. Um, you know, like, here's here's a... I mean, why not Warren Biden? <laughs> why not Biden Warren? <laughs> I mean, well, that's just because I don't think he's going to win. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fine, but I mean... Yeah, yeah. So while it, it is absolutely a million percent important to hold on to um, black voter enthusiasm. Also, like, right, uh, 
the big area where Republican pollsters, at least, are most afraid for the last, like, election cycle and a half, right, has been suburban educated women, right, are, like, peeling off the Republican Party. I think Warren, as the first woman president, would be much more palatable to Republicans, weirdly, than Clinton was. Just because yeah, they, because they she would was feel deeply, deeply hated. Yeah, and they would feel that she could be neutralized very easily. She's of anybody running, she has the <coughs> only working class roots of anybody in the race. Yeah, I think those yeah. those roots are thin though. I yeah, don't, ironically, I don't think ironically, I'd like to see more working class representation yeah, on the ticket. Yeah. Like, I think Biden, for all his like his relative privilege comes off way more working class right yeah, I'm, I agree. Talking about, I'm talking even about even though he's the, got a son the insights yeah. you know on the advisory board that world yeah i think are not negligible whether they read that way or not as flawed again i just want to bring up the point so as flawed as biden is he pulls well with minorities especially yeah. blacks and then he also pulls well in key states like pennsylvania i just don't see him being able to last all the way through this thing i think know? the primaries are the hurdle not beating trump is not the hurdle i think right. he would do really no, no. well against well, trump think, yeah i, mean, I, I think, think the that's problem is the primaries true. are the hurdle yeah. and i think you're right i think if he it's hard to come back from losing I, iowa and new hampshire which he will do yeah i so think i think he, it's really hard for him to get past new hampshire I also think, I mean, for me with Biden, I do think there's a long-term strategy issue for the party in terms mm-hmm. of younger voters also, yep. um, where I think that... Yeah, you have to balance age as well. That's Biden one. taking the ticket is going to be, well, would be a colossal disappointment to young, recently activated, enthusiastic, passionate, progressive voters who... Okay, but I mean, here's, Warren's here's, only eight years younger. Well, here's something. Yeah, but it's it's a different energy. Here's something. Here's energy. something I will say. Whoever, whichever one it is, Biden or Warren, I do believe that they would conscientiously and pragmatically and probably very smartly pick their VP candidate. I'm not particularly worried. Like I have people who I want, who I would prefer, sure. but I think both of them would try to win. They would both be sensitive to these things. They both strike me, and this is probably why they're one and two right now. Is good politicians, which is something that a lot of the other candidates don't really have in their favor yet. They're not sure. good at politics. They don't quite play the game very well on a broader media landscape. Like Now, Warren's like a good insurgent, but Biden's a very good incumbent. Like He plays the game of, you know damping down expectations and being the person who yeah, says I, I'm still concerned about his public invisibility lately. I think that it really does mirror Clinton in the well, presidential where the fear and weakness in his campaign I, is showing That's up. true, but he's also at top of the headlines in every piece right now. Not the right headlines. I don't know if it matters anymore. Is that the headline you want? I think that's what Trump... I think Lex has a really good point, right? I mean, he's playing a safe safe game, and I think they know to wheel him out is there's a real risk, right? That's a much higher risk. Because he hasn't made a real strong showing yet, right? I have a harder time time accepting the point that Warren is a good politician, right? Like, I think she has a single reform to her name, the CFPB. I think she has a certain viewpoint and an ideology that she's championed and that's come into its own for but i don't know 
I just, I'm not super convinced she's like a great politician, right? I think she's much more of an ideologue of the Bernie's train, than, but she's more effective than Bernie, mm-hmm. to your point. Oh, I would say I, she's way more moderate, but she's like, in, in some ways, there's some using argument, the, yeah. yeah, she's using the rhetoric and sort of like... Exactly um, the reason why Bernie people are disappointed in her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think she's... I mean, a, maybe that's, what, that's just because where we spend our time is the, 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 the horrible like recesses of the left internet, but yeah, she's, they've kind of sold her on me with their hatred of her. Uh, so the three policies that Warren has kind of sold me on and has brought me around to her are I like her her uh, gun policy, specifically gun taxes, Ooh. which I think no not enough people talk about, which is I think we could achieve way more with just raising the shit out of taxes on guns than we could with outright bans or attempting to figure out what exactly uh, a semi-automatic is, et cetera, et cetera. Just tax the shit out of them and make them less profitable in America in a punitive way where, you know, every time there's a mass shooting, you have a technocratic uh, way to address it, which is to raise the gun tax uh, and lower it, I guess, if you're a Republican. Uh, who comes into office and sees that you know it's too too hard for gun manufacturers to make a buck in this country? Uh, anyway, I, I support gun taxes, and I think it's a you know uh, worked for cigarettes. I don't smoke as much uh, now that cigarettes are fucking fifteen bucks a pack. Sure. They used to be two dollars a pack. Uh, and then I'd smoke a pack a day. <laughs> I mean that was insane, right? Like I yeah, think but cigarettes are. To be fair, like you don't smoke your gun. Yeah. No, but they're already expensive, well, and you buy right, it once. But three percent of the people own fifty percent of the guns. Like yeah, people who are buying guns. Like if we're gun, putting, you're taxing on the margin of use, right? Yeah. Like so, the if problem, we're highly taxing bullets, maybe. Yeah. Well, also bullets. I mean, everything gun related. You just throw it into the whole gun umbrella, and you know. But you, then, I mean, you would just you uh, by doing that because you would just increase the worth of existing stock Luxury you would accept, item you that, would be you would be penalizing the industry right like you would be yes. manufacturers yes yes but I you would. would not be removing guns well i don't know i think you would because by Other penalizing, by by penalizing the industry you make it less profitable to be a gun manufacturer no because cigarettes go bad guns don't necessarily go bad at a much i mean rate. i, yeah, I but will they say also like, don't need to be purchased I, I do think punitively high taxes on bullets would probably also have, bullets. A, have sure. policy outcomes right sure. because sure. at but that point it is an expendable resource Right. It's something that we apply to every other vice, and it does seem to have an effect. I just don't think guns are vices. That's I, I, I think they're a, a, a vice. Okay, so point number two. Uh, so I like her stance on going after climate change by uh, making the military more green. That was another initiative she put out. That's something, something you've brought up. That's something I've brought up, so yeah. I have to support her on that because yeah. that is that is a, an initiative that I believe in. And I also like her stance on breaking up Amazon, uh, specifically removing the Amazon marketplace from the rest of Amazon. I think it's, it's something else I've brought up quite a bit. And, and Zuckerberg like recently uh, recently gave her a, an inadvertent big up. I saw that. I'm less concerned about Facebook than I am Amazon. I, maybe it should be the other way. But am- I... Well, I mean, as someone who does business against Amazon, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it would be difficult for me to make that call in terms of which, which company I'm, I'm concerned is involved in more destructive monopolistic practices. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think probably realistically what will happen is that Amazon will break itself up mm-hmm. before if, if she wins just to avoid having to get to that point, probably spinning AWS off. Which would instantly become. So I, I actually think that the stockholders, I, I think the shareholders would actually spin off Amazon because what happens is, should AWS grow, like I mean, you would want, uh, you want to, you would want to own the high-growing part as opposed to the retail part. 
right? Like in the re- marketplace and retail are, are either profit sucks or are barely profitable. I think actually the shareholders would want us to want to split as much as the government would. But anyway, so those are your points. This is what you agree with with yeah. Elizabeth Warren. I mean, so I cannot disagree with you more, but cool, <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, well, thank you everyone for joining us. This has been episode 64 of Room of Requirement. And uh, thanks uh, to Kevin Carter for producing our outfit music. Thank you.